We've been looking in this series of Jesus and the people he interacted with. We've been looking at some of the interactions our Lord had mostly with individuals. Maybe it was just one person, the woman at the well or Nicodemus. Maybe it was just one family or just a group such as his apostles. So we've been looking at mostly individuals and their reactions with Jesus until today. Today, we look at some moments when Jesus faced a crowd. We forget sometimes that that happened because so much of scripture is Jesus interacting with individuals, with just a few. And so I don't think that we have quite a million, a hundred thousand here today. Maybe if we count our wonderful friends online, a little closer. But we've had quite a crowd and we've been building those numbers up through the weeks and over the last several months. And we appreciate everyone being a part of that. And we appreciate those who continue to connect with us and worship with us uh, online. That's a, that's a great, great blessing. Uh, every so often, like today, we have a visitor or two that, that uh, is here because they have actually been able to worship with us on, online and now are able to worship with us in person. And that's a great, great blessing. Uh, We appreciate that so much. Jesus, of course, didn't have the wonders of the internet. Uh, Thanks to Terry and to the crew, we were able to see the faces uh, of the kids when they come up for kids' time like we did today. That's a real real blessing. Uh, And of course, Jesus in the first century didn't have that, and yet he stood before crowds of people at times including, as I said earlier, several thousand. So today I want us to consider these times of interaction that Jesus had with the crowds. And as you're sitting there, hopefully you're already thinking of a few of those. Some of those come to mind pretty easily, like these first ones that we'll look at. But then I want us to look at a few others maybe that you're not quite so familiar with. Jesus faced a crowd, and whenever he did, he ministered to them. And he found them in all kinds of situations and settings. Jesus faced crowds of people, first of all, when they were hungry. When they were hungry. There are a few instances of that in the Gospels. We read one of them in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near, which means there were a lot of people there. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, What shall we buy? Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to just have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather 
the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. We read of another incident here where in Matthew 15 and in other places where Jesus also fed a multitude of of people. 4,000 men in that case, seven loaves of bread, a few small fish. In this case, Andrew, who brought Peter to Jesus, as we know, Andrew says to Jesus, well, there's a little boy here with his lunch. (laughs) And he's got five loaves, small barley loaves, and two small fish, but there are thousands here. What is that with so many? Well, again, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He was trying to help the disciples grow a little bit in this process. And so he tells them all to sit down in groups and he prays and he thanks the Lord and he begins to separate the, the food up and miraculously, there's no physical, logical explanation, miraculously, the people have more than enough and even leftovers as well. Much more than what they started with. Well, when Jesus saw this crowd, he saw that they were hungry and so he fed them. He fed them, but not just physical feeding. In verses 25 and following in John 6, Jesus applies the lesson. And in verse 35 of John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. So as he gave them physical bread to sustain their physical lives, he says, I am the bread of life. When Jesus interacted with the crowd, sometimes they were hungry. And so he miraculously fed him, fed them. Why, why did he use that boy's lunch? Well, I think it's similar, David, to what you shared about uh, that uh, moment of creation, that, that God could have done it, certainly could have done it at one time, but instead he didn't accomplish everything in one day, and I love that story. And along with that, he also had a seventh day where he rested. He didn't have to do that either, but he did it because we needed him to do it that way. And in the same way as Jesus feeds these multitudes, he takes what's there. Could have done it any other way. He could have just automatically made them feel like they were no longer hungry. But instead, he fed them. Another time when Jesus faced a crowd was when they wanted to make him king. This incident in John 6 is pretty impressive. Uh, We would have loved to have been there But the ones who were there, they were impressed. And initially, they wanted to make him king. John 6, verses 14 and 15. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When Jesus encounters the crowd and and what they want to do is make him king and it's not time and it's not the right way, Jesus slips through and he won't let them do it. You know, it's kind of a similar um, temptation for Jesus here as what Satan initially offered him during those temptations in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4 when he said, hey, 
jump off the highest point of the temple and when people see the angels deliver you there, they'll worship you. But that's not what Jesus wanted. He wanted our hearts. He wanted us to believe in him. He wanted us to trust him. He wanted to be our savior. Not just the king. He could have done it that way. And as we'll see in a little bit, when they challenged him while he was on the cross and they said, hey, come down from the cross right now and what? We'll believe you. He could have done it that way. And he would have been the king, but he wouldn't have been the savior. To be the savior, he had to shed his blood. And so when they wanted to make him king, Jesus worked his way through the crowd and refused to allow it. Well, there's the other side of that coin. Jesus not only encountered crowds when they wanted to make him king, he also encountered crowds when they wanted to kill him. And Luke chapter 4 is one of those great passages where Jesus interacts with people, and, and this is in his hometown. And as he's interacting with them and and talking with them, he shares with them that great lesson from the prophet Isaiah and how it's fulfilled in Jesus' time and through his life and ministry. Quoting from Isaiah 61, and, and so then the people are all impressed, but he challenges them because he knows that their faith is just in the things that they see. And so Jesus challenges them and confronts them in a way that they are not comfortable with, even in his own hometown. Well, how would they respond? Well, Luke 4, verses 28 through 30 tells us, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard Jesus. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. You know, it's really interesting to me that when they want to make him king and when they want to kill him, (laughs) Jesus' response to the crowds is the same. He just kind of walks right through them and is, I think, in some way or another, miraculously separated from them. We see another example of this in the Gospel of John in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is interacting a lot with the Jews and with the Jewish leaders. And and they keep going back and forth and back and forth. And they keep uh, pestering him about where he's from and and who his father is and and how how can these things be true. And is he greater than Abraham? And as Jesus interacts with them, I think they're getting madder and madder and madder because Jesus refuses to budge on his identity and upon his place. And so in John chapter 8, beginning at verse 54, Jesus said, If I glorify myself, John 8, 54, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. He had called them liars, and he called them not children of Abraham, not children of God, but children of the devil, because the devil is the father of lies, was a liar from the beginning. And now he says, if I said I didn't know the father, I'd be a liar just like you. You say you know him, but you don't. 
Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Abraham lived 2,000 years before this time. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not even 50 years old, they said, and you have seen Abraham? Verse 58, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So he claims to be greater than the greatest in their history, Abraham, the father of the Jews, the father of the faithful. He claims to be eternal. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. But more than that, he claimed to be God. Before Abraham was born, I am. It's not maybe correct grammar, but we remember that when Moses encountered God at the burning bush and he, one of his excuses was, look, I don't even know your name. What if they ask me your name? What will I tell them? God said, I am. Existence. I am that I am. I am the great I am. And Jesus, several times in the Gospel of John, as you know, has an I am statement, such as, I am the bread of life, that we looked at earlier. This is one of those, except there's no object. Jesus takes that sacred name of God, so sacred that the Jews wouldn't even pronounce it. And not only does he pronounce it, he takes it for himself. Before Abraham was born, I am. In another place he had said, unless you believe that I am, and then you add the he, that I am he, you will die in your sins, John 8, 24. And so it's no wonder that they picked up stones to kill him in verse 59. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But again, Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Why would he do that? Didn't he come to give his life? Well, yes, but not at that moment, not in that way. That time would come, but it wasn't that time. So when the crowds were hungry, Jesus fed them. I am the bread of life. When the crowds wanted to make him king, he said, not just yet, and he went through them. And escaped. When they wanted to kill him, Jesus would not let it happen. Well, what about when they wanted to worship him? When they wanted to worship him. And Luke chapter 19 is perhaps one of the great examples of that. We see it also in Matthew chapter 21. This triumphant entry that Jesus makes into Jerusalem days before he will be killed. At this moment, the crowds want to worship him. In Luke 19, Jesus sets the stage and has the disciples find that cult. And and as he's going in, the people react with worship. In verse 35 of Luke 19, they brought the cult to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Matthew 21 says some of them cut branches off and laid it down before him. Like like even the cult that Jesus was riding 
was too wonderful and too great and too holy to have its feet touch the ground. And so we call that day Palm Sunday. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the the road goes to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And we're almost kind of expecting him to do it. He wouldn't let them make him king earlier. In verse 40, I tell you, Jesus replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If the people don't worship... The rocks will cry out. The inanimate objects. This is a moment of worship. This is a moment of praise. And Jesus did not turn it down. And that's unusual. In fact, it's unique in scripture. We see so many other times when someone tried to worship someone. Paul and Barnabas had to turn down worship on their mission journey. Paul and Silas did the same. John, when he received the revelation, wanted to worship the angel that had brought it all around and had guided him through, and the angel wouldn't let him. And yet here, Jesus gladly accepts their worship. Why? Because he's the Son of God and no one else is. Because Jesus is worthy of being worshiped. There's just something about that name, as we sang. Let all heaven and earth proclaim the name of Jesus. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's just something about that name, Jesus. There's something different about Jesus. And in this case, When the crowds wanted to worship him, Jesus said, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one more. Number five, Jesus interacted with the crowds even when they wanted to crucify him. Of course, the gospel writers all tell the story. We'll turn to Luke's account in Luke chapter 23. As Jesus is betrayed by Judas, as he is denied by Peter and forsaken by all of the disciples, he's taken and he's tried and he's pronounced to be guilty by the Jewish leadership. And we'll speak about them in an upcoming lesson. He is pronounced guilty by the governor, Pontius Pilate, even though, as we'll see, he wanted to let him go because he knew he was innocent. Ultimately, however, he pronounces guilt and sentences him to die on the cross. But we read this in Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 18. The whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. You see, this could have been Pilate's out. That's what he wanted. 
Because during the Passover time, uh, the governor would release one of their prisoners just as a, as a motion of goodwill, a PR with the cameras rolling, somebody would be released. And so Pilate says, hey, I've got the perfect one, this Jesus. I know he's been delivered here on trumped up charges. I know he's innocent. How about if I release him? And they say, no, 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 Barabbas. What about this Barabbas? Well, scripture tells us that he was an insurrectionist and a murderer. And if there's anyone that Pilate should not have released, it would have been Barabbas. He's the one that wanted to overthrow the government. He's the one that was a killer. But instead, how did the crowds react? No, 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 we don't want Barabbas. We we don't want Barabbas to die. We want Barabbas to be released. As for Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, they said. Verse 22, for the third time, Pilate spoke to them, why, what what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty, therefore I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. When they wanted to crucify him, Jesus didn't stop them. Earlier was not the time, not the way, not the moment, but this time it was. Skipping down a little bit in Luke 23 to verse 35. As Jesus was on the cross, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Verse 39 says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? And rightly so for us but not for him. And yet, when the crowd wanted to crucify him, Jesus responds with seven statements from the cross. Three of them are found in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, first of all, Jesus responded to that faithful thief on the cross and said, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. In verse 34, Jesus amazingly says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then finally, at the end of his life, in verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down voluntarily. And that's what he did. He could have stopped it just as easily as he had done earlier. He could have gone through the crowd. He could have come down from the cross. He could have called the 12,000 legions of angels, but he never did. Why? Because he had that faithful love. This was that foundation that Danny spoke of earlier around the table. That foundation of 
the death of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shared, shed for us, that we celebrate and, and give thanks for as we gather with our brothers and sisters around the table. It's the kind of love that we sang about earlier. Faithful love from above came to earth to show the Father's love. And I'll never be the same, for I've seen faithful love face to face, and Jesus is his name. There's just something about that name. Because even though he could have called it off at any moment, he refused. And when they were shouting at him, when they were sneering at him, when they were crucifying him, Jesus willingly gave his life for us. When they were hungry, Jesus fed the crowd. When they wanted to make him king, he wouldn't let him. <laughs> when they wanted to kill him and it wasn't the right time, he got away. When they wanted to worship him, Jesus gladly accepted it. The only one worthy of worship. And when they wanted to crucify him, they did. Jesus loved the crowds because Jesus loved the people. <laughs> he loved interacting with the one and one, but he also loved the people. John 3 tells us and reminds us, for God so loved the world, that's kind of a crowd, <laughs> that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not die, but have everlasting life. Because Jesus says the son didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And he saved it by giving his life. The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He told Zacchaeus in Luke 19, and in Matthew 20, he told them all, even I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Ultimately, Jesus saw the crowds and in that crowd, he saw you and he saw me. And he saw us at our worst and he gave his life for us. Why did Jesus love the crowds? Because Jesus loved the people that he had created in his own image. He loved you. He died for you. He wants to be your savior. If we can help that happen, come as we stand, sing our song together.